So over the course of the last three weeks, we've uh, been looking at this section of Jesus' teaching on this challenging topic of hypocrisy, the back end of chapter 11 and beginning of chapter 12. And I'm sure that we've all, and I've certainly been challenged, deeply challenged by this teaching. Are there aspects of my life that are inconsistent or hypocritical, or where I've been wearing a masked cover um, <clears throat> to, uh, to cover what I really am? or perhaps promised to do something and completely forgotten. <clears throat> Have you considered that challenge that Craig has laid, it, laid at our feet? And is there anything that is marking your life, or anything in your life that's marked by hypocrisy, that we need to confess before the Lord? Or is there something that we've done that we need to confess to family or friends, that has been done insincerely or without thinking that caused hurt? These are real things, friends, and I felt seriously challenged, and I had to make a few phone calls this week, that's for sure. Or may maybe you've been faced with a situation where you've been asked to compromise your values or your biblical convictions, and we've remained silent to save our skin because of the fear of the consequences. So as we turn to our passage, I will leave that with you to reflect on. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it comes to us and we take what is before us and we work with it. But it's by your Holy Spirit we seek to open up your word. It's nothing of ourselves, but we are just here as waiting to hear what you have to say to us, each of us. So Lord, I just ask for your particular help this, this morning. You know my own heart. You know the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, please minister to us today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So when, when I was about 10, um, I, I was living in Canada at the time with my family, and uh, we, we came to the UK to visit friends, and, and uh, for some crazy reason, my family decided to visit St. Paul's Cathedral. So I love it now. It's beautiful, isn't it? But uh, my brothers, who are a bit older than me, uh, those who are the youngest in the family, I'm sure will be able to relate, um, thought it was a good idea to go up into the dome of the cathedral. And that, at that time, the access was through these spiral staircases. I can still picture it. They were green in color. Spiral staircases, steel, and you could see right down. My, my palms are sweating already <laughs> thinking about it. I, the, you know, the open railings, the holes, you could see through. I was terrified. I was a 10-year-old kid. So if you, I, maybe you can relate to that experience. But um, <laughs> maybe... Yeah, my crumbs. My hands are sweat. <laughs> wow, I didn't think that, that would happen. But anyway, um, maybe, but also maybe you've, you, you can relate to another experience. Um, so I, I had this um, <laughs> some time ago. I shouldn't, I shouldn't chuckle, but some time ago I, I'd missed an important piece of information at a pe and, and for work, and um, it actually had a fairly significant financial implication. And um, yeah. A few sleepless nights when I discovered that. Obviously had the conversation with my management team. I was sweating bullets, that's for sure. And you know, I didn't know what would happen. Would I lose my job? Would I, you know, what would happen? But my company was very gracious. They, we worked it through together. And I have certainly learned from that, I'll tell you that. But I was afraid. I genuinely was really afraid. Yeah, was it reputation? Was it yeah, the f loss of job? Whatever that might be, I was afraid. But you know, maybe here's another example. Maybe you've been with your friends and you know, someone shares that really crude joke or 
maybe says something disrespectful about the ladies in your company. Or maybe they, you know, they, uh, where you attend church and they really try to wind you up by provoking you about something or try to discredit you. Oh, you're a Christian. Well, you're not going to drink, are you? Or you're not going to do this or that or the other thing. So what do you do? Is it through your fear of your friends that are looking a fool? Maybe you don't open your mouth. Maybe that just weighs heavily on your mind. But you know, here's some examples where fear can be real. So fear is a very real emotion, and it's on the one hand, it serves a very powerful and positive purpose. So you know, <laughs> using another example, um, those of you who like to ski, when you get, whoops, when you get off the lift and uh, you fall down. Um, <laughs> when you get off the lift, thanks, Matt. <laughs> Clearly, I shouldn't lean on this, should I? No, it's fine. <laughs> um, and, and you get off the lift, and there, the, the, only, the only run that's there is that black diamond run. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that fear, right? It's that fear of going down that hill and you don't actually see over the edge. Or, or maybe it's that fear of, of exams or whatever that might be. But these are very real emotions. And, and sometimes they're really positive. Or you, know, you hear that horn of that train coming and you make sure you stand back from that platform. But the dictionary defines fear as, you know, the, a noun, as a noun. It's a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger or evil or pain whether that threat is real or imagined. You can have the feeling or condition of being afraid. And, and there's some positive aspects to that, and also it can be quite overwhelming. Or you could have a specific instance or propensity of such a feeling, that abnormal fear of heights, like going up the stairs to the dome. But, but it can also be a verb, it can be active, right? You, 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 you can regard with fear, or you can be afraid of something or someone. You know, it's that kid who's running down the, the corridor with the bat and swinging it. You might be slightly afraid. Or it might be that um, you're, you're afraid of, of you know, going into a meeting at work, and you're, you're slightly afraid of the people there. But also it can have a meaning of, being, of having reverential awe. Reverential awe. So we're going to look at a few things around that today. But uh, what I want to do is contrast this fear of danger as a noun with the fear of awe as a verb. And more importantly, looking at the character of the person in whom we are to fear. So turn with me, if, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And we're going to look at verse 4 to 7. <clears throat> And we're just carrying on in our journey in Luke's gospel. Verse 4. <clears throat> I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than sparrows. So by way of background, if you cast your minds back to the beginning of chapter 11, we, we've seen the Lord Jesus teaching about prayer, really bold prayer. He's performed miracles, casting out demons, 
He's been teaching the disciples that there was one here who was greater than the sign of Jonah. And he was challenging those who were hearing, but, <clears throat> but, but putting their lamp of faith under a bushel. They were hiding their faith. And then the Lord moves on to teaching that's warning the leaders and disciples of hypocrisy, as, as we've said already. And Craig gave, gave us some really real examples of what hypocrisy looks like, both in leaders and in all of us. And I tell you what, that message about leaders was leaving me feeling quite challenged. Am I consistent? I tell you what, we need to be on our knees. And so the Lord was examining their hearts, and, and the truth is that nothing remains hidden, but rather what is in the heart of man is exposed, whether in the here and now or at the end of days. And, and this is what Craig challenged, with, challenged us with last week. Is there anything in their hearts that is hidden? Some unconfessed sin or hidden deceit that will be brought out into the open on the final day. As a reminder, verse, the first four verses of, or three verses of chapter, this chapter, chapter 12, says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to first speak to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, this is quite a sobering passage, isn't it? But on, on the other hand, isn't, isn't it wonderful that actually we can have an entirely clean sheet with God through repentance and confession? We can be on our knees before Him and ask Him to just cleanse our hearts, just take away those things that are contrary to Him. That's just the wonderful part of the Christian faith. But this underpins it. So when we come to this passage, what we've read today, it's a helpful reminder that we are in the presence of a holy God who is the only point of reference for all things in the moral universe, despite what culture might say. So as we move forward for our text today, <clears throat> let's just have a look at verse, chapter 11, verse 53. Just, just pop back there for a minute. And it, I think it provides some background to this fear. So verse 53 says the following, As he went from there, and I, I'm reading from the ESV, by the way. <clears throat> As he went from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So let's just set the scene. So the Lord, he's, he's been at a dinner party with the Pharisees, and I'm sure they were all laying at table and all sorts of conversation was going on. But my goodness, must that environment have been toxic. How intense that must have been. And then leading up to the point where they left the dinner, they went out the door, and then they were trying to trap the Lord Jesus. They began to press him hard and provoke him. You can, you can imagine the language they were using to, to really wind him, try to wind up the Lord Jesus. And given what we know from the scriptures, the pressure was increasing towards that point where they wanted to kill him. And we've seen, haven't we seen scenes like this? Of course, nothing is as, as unique as what happened to the Lord Jesus, of course. But we see that pressure of the crowd, don't we? We see 
on the, you know, on the TV, the news, when, when there's thousands of people running down the street, raising their voices, protesting. We see it. And whipped up into a frenzy, and, the, and, and, and those who are the object of that frenzy must be in fear, must be in, in fear of their lives. And, and the language that, 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 that Luke uses here, it's all, almost like the language of a hunt. They were chasing after him, trying to capture him. So it's really, really intense period of time in the Lord's life. And so you get that real and palpable sense of danger. And, and we cannot underplay how real and terrifying it must be when lives are threatened. You know, this general principle, I think, applies whether it's here, uh, whether there is any type of violence in the UK or around the world, there's that fear. But, but as we've learned through our friends in Open Doors and other sources, you know, Christians face this every day around the world. Last week, we prayed about that young lady in Nigeria whose pressure on the, the pressure on her life must be so intense. So it's very real indeed. And as we look at our passage, the Lord Jesus is teaching us that we need not fear those who can kill the body. When, when, you, when you think about it in that context, you think, how, how can the Lord say that? How can he make such a statement when it is a real and palpable fear? Why? Verse 4 says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. <coughs> nothing more they can do. <clears throat> in Hebrews, <clears throat> Hebrews, four, where, uh, Hebrews 2, rather, where we read a moment ago, it teaches us that Satan's power is no, no longer effective after death. That is his only power. <clears throat> or is, that is his ultimate power, rather. <clears throat> it finishes there. He, he can't do anything after that. Scripture teaches us that. And so there's nothing more that he or his agents would, can do, you know, those who would seek to take life, that is the end of their power. And the Lord Jesus is teaching us that whilst the threat of life is very terrifying and real, and, and friends, there are some in this room who have experienced that. There are some in this room who have experienced that. It's very, very real. But it's not what we should ultimately fear. The question is, who else could have a greater power than that, that we must fear more than the fear of those who have the power to kill the body? And, and verse 5 gives the answer. <clears throat> but I warn you, from whom to fear? Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell or Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You know, these last few weeks, we've been going through some really sobering passages in Scripture. And if you came to church today to hear the wonderful good news, which we will come on to, but a nice, warm, fuzzy message, I'm sorry I'm not giving it to you today. What I am giving you is the truth of Scripture, that there is one whom we have to fear. And this is where there's that reverence of awe that fear of awe and reverence that comes into play. We are talking about God here. He has the power to put those who do not trust in Christ into hell. It is a real place, friends. We cannot shy away from it. 
Fear God himself alone who has the authority to cast a person there. And yes, it is a reality for any who does not believe in the Lord Jesus. When the Lord returns, if that's your place, if you've not trusted in him, that is a real future for anyone who does not trust in Christ. However, that doesn't need to be our story, does it? But as we continue on, Hebrews 9 says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It will come. These are real truths, friends. We must wrestle with them. This is what the Scripture, we can't shy away from these Scriptures. We must wrestle with them. And you may recall that last week Craig called our attention to the end of times when all will be exposed and assessed and judged for what it is. Revelation 20 says this, verse 11, when, what, <clears throat> Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence the earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead and great and small standing before the throne and the books were opened. And then another book was opened and which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up... <coughs> the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades itself were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Sobering passages. And we were reminded about the, last, the reality of judgment in the last day at the throne of God. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus, are, who are found in the, written in the book of life, and then there are those who reject Christ and are banished eternally into the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. Does this passage resonate with you? These are stark realities, friends. Heaven and hell, earth and life, eternal damnation, eternal life. These things are real, but it brings the fear of God into your soul. We cannot avoid speaking about it. It is the fear of being left behind. <clears throat> now, I, I was brought up with uh, pre-millennial pre rapture theology. You can talk to me about it afterwards. But it, having watched a, a series called Left Behind, it was the fear of not being there in glory with my parents that brought me to salvation. For me, that was my experience. That moment at the, my knees, 10 years old at the side of my bed, Lord, I don't want to be left behind. For me, that was a real experience. And it brought me to salvation. Your experience may be different. Your end times theology might be slightly different, but for me, that's what it was. So there's a fear of eternal damnation is there. However, however, God has made it clear that he does not want any to perish. He does not want any to go down that road. But he's seeking that all repent and receive eternal life. 2 Peter 3, 9 says the following, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, this is the different story. This can be your story. 
This can be the glorious outcome that each and every one of us who place our faith and trust in Christ can receive, is that God is desiring that for you today. And that's why the contrast between what can be for believers and what can be for unbelievers is so stark and is so important to show that contrast. And that's why we here at Welcome faithfully proclaim the gospel to you, that there is a better story for you today that is in and found alone in Jesus Christ. It's through his finished work on the cross that we celebrated there in communion that we can, we can, we can, we can, it's, it's providing a way of salvation. That's the better story. That's the better story. And we celebrate it together as we remember him in communion by going to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. Jesus took on himself that wrath of God against sin. Jesus paid the penalty for anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. Their name is written in the book of life. Is your name written there? Mine is. Is yours? You can have certainty today, this very moment, by putting your faith and trust in Christ. Just turn to him. Lord, save me. Isn't that wonderful? God's judgment has already been satisfied for any who believe that they are, <clears throat> and they are eternally free. You and I have a future of absolute bliss and the fear of eternal judgment removed by trusting in Christ. But what about the here and now? God is intensely interested in you in the here and now, this very moment. And this is what verse 6 and 7 are all about. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So if God is interested in sparrows, and let's put some context. So in, in those days, sparrows may have actually been food for the very poor because they were extremely cheap or they, were, they didn't cost much, let me put it that way. So th th this was food for the, 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 those who were very poor, and God cared for them. So each time they were sold in the markets as food for the very poor, how much more does he value you and I? Each and every one of us are valued above all else, so much so that God knows every detail about us. The hairs on our head and the condition of our hearts are in his knowledge and in his care. God's providential care to men. Just think about that. God's providential care to all men. The seasons themselves. That's God's providential care. He cares about humanity. The production of food and water to nourish uh, the population. And of course, as we celebrated together, the way of salvation. God cares for us so deeply so deeply. He gave his only begotten son. That's why he did it. He cares so deeply for us. And so therefore, if this is true, if we are cared for deeply, then as we turn to God in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus, we, we don't have to fear. We can love him. Yes, there is the fear of reverence and awe, but we can love him because he loves us. And so as we've seen over the last two weeks, <clears throat> The last few weeks, God has set a moral standard of behavior, and he's looking at our hearts. He's looking at the inside. 
Um, he's looking to see where we're at because of our sin and rebellion. And it's clear what he finds. He finds inconsistency and failure. And he's reminding us that the end of days all will be exposed, but he's challenging us. Challenging us as to the consistency of our action. Do we do one thing and say another? But now we've been challenged as to what we fear. Do we fear those around us? While he's specifically speaking about the threat to life in this passage, we can apply it to our context today. And I apply this to myself first. Are we afraid of what people think of us? Do we remain silent because of what people think of us? Do we ask and do we do we shy away from sharing our faith because of what the consequence might be? Do we think are we afraid of <clears throat> are we afraid of what people think and what our reputation is? In a, in a world that's increasingly polarized, are we afraid of being canceled, losing our jobs, being ghosted? All these terms, they're all new to me. But the reality is these things happen. And because we're faith, or <coughs> and, and, and these things could happen because we faithfully stand on God's word. But <coughs> do these, as, as we'll see next week, if we're left here, do these fears cause you and I to close our mouths, our mouths in reality when the situation may call for us to be faithful to speak up. As we shall see next time, the Lord goes on to how we acknowledge Christ before men. But the Lord Jesus is challenging us today. Will our fear cause us to deny God? Or will we give Him His due? <clears throat> so I'm going to leave you with a final passage. <clears throat> One Peter... Uh, Peter is a great letter to read. Great letter to read. And, and think, of, think about this. We've talked about hypocrisy, haven't we? Think about Peter. So he's, he's this disciple who's really fired up. He's had a load of fish loaded up on his boat that after fishing a whole night and catching nothing. And the Lord Jesus tells him, put your net over the other side. He catches all these fish. He follows Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, I will die with you. And then when it comes to that, that courtyard outside the high priest's house. Who's the one who says, well, I, have, I have no idea who he is? It's Peter, isn't it? It's Peter. And then he, 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 he's convicted in his heart about that. He did exactly what... He did exactly what we've just been talking about. It's like, ooh, uh, maybe I'm not going to be so, so open about who I follow today. But Peter was convicted about that. And he became one of the most powerful preachers that you see in the Acts. A mighty preacher for the Lord. So his letters are really helpful to read. 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 17 says this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put together to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. And God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, been subjected to him. Isn't that lovely? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. We can, got a few bullet points there to finish us off with. Honor the Christ, the Christ the Lord is holy, being prepared to make a defense. Are you prepared to make a defense? <clears throat> Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you? So I urge you, as we finish off today, friends, be prepared to stand for Jesus. Be prepared to stand by the power of the Holy Spirit, relying entirely on Him, who will give you the strength and give you the words of wisdom to speak, or maybe to remain silent. Let's be courageous in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Souls will be lost. But let's be Jesus' hands and feet today to share the good news of him so that no one can say, I hadn't heard about it. We're together to worship the Lord, aren't we? Always remain in the presence of the Lord. You know, someone, when we were going through a hard time, someone reminded us, let the worship music play in your house. And my, oh my, did that help us. We couldn't pray. We didn't know what was going on. We were in full of angst, but that worship washed over us. Study his word. We have this treasure. Friends, we have this treasure that tells us that beautiful story of salvation that starts at the very first, the first page, and the story of salvation that finishes on the last. That's what we share. That's the hope that's within us. Commit your ways to him. Let us be faithful. Be ready. Let us always keep a short account with the Lord. We always fail. We do. We aren't fully sanctified yet. That's a work in progress, isn't it? But let us, let us confess to him. And if we have to, to one another as well. Be prepared to testify. Be bold. Let us be bold at sharing this good news of Jesus Christ, that, oh, that better story. A better story, because Jesus brings salvation. But let us do it with gentleness and respect. Standing strong for what Scripture teaches us about our relationships, about our, our identity, identity that's in Christ. And if any has not given their heart to Christ, and you've talked about some hard things today, come and talk to us. We will pray with you. Give your heart to Christ. As Paul says in another passage, now is the well-accepted time. Today, don't, don't delay. An eternal certainty can be yours. So I'll call the worship team up and we'll finish. But I trust that even though these have been difficult passages, we're blessed together and we can worship the Lord together. Amen.